So now, ladies and gentlemen, it is start time. Are you ready for start time? Thank you, and thank you very kindly. It is indeed a great place to present to you at this particular time. Connecting the classics. Are we live? You know more than I know. This is John Cale. You know more than I know. The theme song of Connecting the Classics. A weekly radio hour where we discuss Lee knows more than I know. And Will knows more than I know. We're just a bunch of uh, music enthusiasts out here discussing. But we don't just like John Kale, we like JJ Kale. Ride me high. Each week, Will and I pick an album, and then we pick a song from that album, and we connect to the other person's album using six songs of separation. Kevin Bacon style. Kevin Bacon style. And sometimes we do a theme. You can suggest a theme if you want to email us at connectingtheclassics at gmail.com. We haven't gotten any emails lately, so we're not doing a theme this episode. I fired at you first with my album choice which is James Brown, Live at the Apollo. Great choice. For a lot of reasons. Definitely a historic album. And I got to give to give the listeners a preview. I feel like I feel like you probably know more about this album than I do. I was just uh, you know, on the old Peloton doing the funk 10-minute funk ride, you know. And uh, they were playing some James Brown. I was like, I got to listen to more James Brown. Yeah, I love the pick. I honestly never heard the album, so I don't think I know much more than you did. Uh, super cool hey, you know to hear, you know, the crowd noise. 1962, it's recorded, released the next year, 1963, uh, which I think is a cool moment in time where you're basically seeing James Brown take over and be the, you know, the, the face of funk. Uh, that's the big thing I attribute James Brown to is sort of the transition out of soul into his own genre called funk. And also just James Brown, how obviously he influenced so many genres like hip hop, disco, like oh, yeah. funk. And even I feel like in this JJ Kale song that we're listening to right now, I feel like you almost hear a little like funky drums that maybe could have even been inspired by James Brown. Totally. But what'd you fire back with? Uh, so I fired back with Love, uh, the band Love. Uh, For Sale is the name of the album. I think what might popped in my head, I wanted to do Love because you did a live album and I, you know, I thought maybe fire back with a live album. And then I was like, live, laugh, love. Okay. I was thinking live, laugh, love. Hey, this is the live, laugh, love episode. We were on the same page. We don't plan this. So a reason I chose Love's a fascinating band. Uh, They're often credited with like, uh, you know, contributing to psychedelia pop. And uh, this is their last album, more or less, uh, after, it was the follow-up after their big 1967 album. So this one's a little lesser known, but I think it's great. I thought you might enjoy it, so that was another reason why I picked it. A little garage rock in there, a little psychedelic rock. I don't know what you thought. I didn't tie it. It's going to be the one episode where I don't tie something to Midwest emo, but I almost (laughs) felt in the guitar. It's a really good guitar album. And I felt like yes. a lot of the kind of guitar styles reminded me of sort of the noodley style that like Midwest emo will do. For lack yeah, of a better main, word, I'm like, using Midwest emo for the record. I don't even actually think that that is a genre. Yeah, but. the main brain is Arthur Lee, and he's a super talented guitar player. So, all right, you want to launch into James Brown, and we'll get started. Launching into James Brown. Cause I know it's true now You got the power And I want you to try me Cause I don't mind Don't leave me bewildered Cause this old heart can't stand no more 
going to say? say. Lost Someone by James Brown. Guys, we're locked in for 10 minutes here. Such a good song. Someone who's greater than a star. Someone. Very much you hear that soul backbone. Also, the crowd really does add a great element to this album. Yeah, they're like like yelling at him. Not overbearing, but still in the background, like cheering and... So the backing band is the Famous Flames, which I feel like I always talk or hear about Clyde Stubblefield. But the drummer here is Clayton Phil Yao. I might be mispronouncing that. I don't claim to ever pronounce anything right on the podcast. I love it today. Help me, help me. I'm so weak. I I love you. I'm so weak. Fun fact about the Apollo Theater. Luther Vandross was booed off stage five times during performances. Wow. I love you tomorrow. I love you tomorrow. But oh, yeah. But oh, yeah. So the other thing to note about this album is he's with the Famous Flames. Come on now. Which is like an early backing group that he had. And I think they went on to be pretty successful as well. Yeah, I don't know if you heard me or if the listeners heard me, but rewind the tapes. But I was just talking about that. How the, I usually, I don't know if you heard me talking about Clyde Stubblefield. The drummer, is that what you said? Yeah, let me hear you say yeah. Say it a little. Yeah. Do you need me to say it a little bit louder? Say it a little louder. Oh, I'll say it a little bit louder. I was talking about Clyde Stubblefield. But the drummer on this is Clayton Phil Yao. I feel like James Brown, too, is like one of those people who's just, I mean, obviously, like soul music, you brought it up already. Like, he is just pure soul, like the way he sings and also like leads a band and kind of just directs the band and entertains the crowd and is like a showman and stuff. I think he, I Googled James Brown controversy because I feel like he was probably not the best human being, but just as a pure artist. Yeah. I don't, I think he had some like domestic abuse and maybe sexual assault allegations, stuff like that. Yeah. And I think he kind of came from a broken home. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to not talk about soul or funk music without mentioning him. His like dancing and stage presence are, are honestly unmatched. If listeners have never seen a like a documentary where you can see his live performances, definitely recommend. I was actually talking about James Brown with my mom earlier, and she said she was citing how he used to pretend like he was dead on stage, and then he would pop up and start dancing. <laughs> Yeah, just that showman. So charismatic. Charismatic. Yeah. And I feel like. But yeah, he's like, does the splits, right? Yeah. I was going to say, it's like every genre that he influenced. Yeah. Help me, somebody. Help me, somebody. Midwest emo is entirely derivative of James Brown. Kind of, though, because like. Even on this song, like it goes really soft and really loud, like what we were talking about Nirvana with the pixies and stuff. Weaving webs. A million to one. Ten thousand people. Out of my 
once he stops playing with the the flames, the famous flames, I think is when he really starts to create the uh, funk genre. Starts getting a little more experimental, drawing out songs in a improvisational way. But because then there's the still JBs, right? Yeah, the JBs. What are the iterations? There's the JBs at some point, which I've heard some of those albums where he's like. Yeah, like directing the band while performing and stuff. Exactly. And the band is like faster and crazier. I mean, this is a slower song from the album and like more drama. Yeah, I think you could call this a soul soul song. Basically, the internet says soul. The internet internet ain't got no soul. Uh, I feel like this song is just pure soul. And because it's live. And like the reaction of the crowd and how he's singing it. Basically, the easy way to tell is soul is going to be slow and sound kind of like a gospel song. And then funk is going to be much more up-tempo, bass and drum driven. He also basically invented screamo. If if that Beatles song, I forget which one, but you know what I'm talking about. There's a Beatles song that's basically screamo. When I said that little thing, I said that little part that might sting you in your heart now. I want to hear you scream. I want to hear so you good. say, ow! So good. I want to hear you say, ow! Don't just say, ow, say, ow! And I believe my work will be done. Yeah, the rest of the album, like, there's some crazy, like, medleys of multiple songs that fly by really quickly and, like, a little interlude and stuff. The guy that introduces, that introduced our episodes is Fats Gonder. And obviously, like, the Apollo Theater, we haven't really been talked about it, but obviously historic theater. But we'll be weaving that web. You ever been to the Apollo? Never. I had the privilege of going to an amateur night uh, one time when I was in New York. It's pretty cool, like, they're still doing it, especially because... We'll be weaving this web, but like the first amateur night, I think was in 1934. And then like during this era, this early 60s, it was kind of like the Harlem Renaissance. And like the theater was probably in its peak heyday, even though it had already launched the careers of some other artists we'll be talking about later. Bruno Mars. No, but I think Bruno Mars did get famous (laughs) from the Apollo. Wow. You know what I'm talking about? I said it's getting a little cold outside. And everybody needs somebody. I feel like New York also has those things that are like radio, mu- radio City somebody. Music Hall. Even everybody Madison Square Garden now. Carnegie yeah. Hall. You know I like to sing this Apollo song. Theater. That are like some of the I oldest theaters like in the U.S. So they have some prestige. It makes me think about the good things. Make me feel like the good things, like having a good time, like love the song Good Times. One to one connection here. Well, that's the thing. I almost did MC5. They have a great live album. But literally, I was reading Wiki and it said they were super. Live at the Apollo by James Brown. Nice. One to one. Yeah, one to one. Also, this is how I imagine the listeners of the podcast. We should start dropping in their reactions to the podcast. People just listen. Woo! Great song. I know Lee loves the long songs. 
So <laughs> yeah, I launch into that, that one. That was a banger. That was one that really caught me as I was listening. I was like, damn, this is good. But uh, let's yep, jump same. over to the love. I was like, I love this. So one-to-one connection, love, pass it back. All right. I'm going to go ahead and jump into it. Yeah, I think I think it's uh, encourage listeners to check out Arthur Lee and the other love album, Forever Changes. Super interesting sort of take on psychedelic music in LA in the late 60s. So launching into, this is to me the standout track. This is Always See Your Face. I love how dark this is. It's almost like manic. I mean, it kind of does sound like Captain Jazz. Who? Captain Jazz? Yeah. I also wasn't paying as close attention to the lyrics because I was cleaning my room while listening, but I really enjoyed the music. I got to go back because I like this already. Yeah, I was going to say, if you like lyrics, go back and listen to some of them. They're great. Um, He says, will somebody please help me with my misery? That's the first line of this song. So Arthur Lee moved to Los Angeles with his mom from Memphis. They actually lived in the West Adams neighborhood, so shout out your old Stomping Grounds. And uh, yeah, he kind of grows up a California kid, uh, plays in surf rock bands when he's a teenager, and then, you know, is immediately kind of in the studio system. And uh, there's a great quote where he said, when I first heard the birds, I felt vindicated because I'd been writing music like that and knew that like folk rock was an important genre. And great guitar. Is he playing guitar? You know, I don't think he might, he might not be. We've talked before on the podcast too, just about how LA's music scene is kind of hard to define, even though it's like influenced a lot by like psychedelic. Uh, I feel like this is another good totally. example of it and like early, earlier version of it. The original Jane's Addiction. Yeah. I was actually reading that part of why this band kind of falls apart is they're on the same label as The Doors. And so this, this album is 69, so the doors are just like blowing up. And I think it created a lot of tension in the band to the point where pretty much everyone left and it was just Arthur Lee by this album. Damn. But yeah, I just love this concept of the song. It's like, it's like no matter where I go, I see your face and you'll always see my face. Just like, to me, it feels like a dark breakup song. And I like, like the rhyming face with face. <laughs> or like saying face multiple times. Like I actually, yeah. that's unusual, you know? Totally. But yeah, I agree. That's a great line. Kind of um, like goes along with James Brown lost someone too, which is, even though it doesn't sound like a breakup song, really, it kind of is that. Yeah. All right, I'll pass it. All right. Let's get it, let's so, get it going. We've been talking about James Brown, Live at the Apollo. We were at the Godfather of Soul, some might call him. And launching into from the Godfather of Soul to the Queen of Jazz, might know her as the First Lady of Song, who made her debut at the Apollo Theater on one of the first amateur nights in 1934. Ella Fitzgerald. And uh, this is... Nice. Uh, from a live album, I think it was like 2016. That might be too recent, but it was relatively recent. And similar to the way the James Brown album opens up, we got David Allen Greer 
being the role of, of Fats Gonder, but David Allen Greer from okay. In Living Color introducing Ella Fitzgerald playing performing Judy. Good evening and welcome to the fabulous Apollo Theater. It's November 21st, 1934, and it's <laughs> Wednesday night. You all know what that means. It's time for the world-famous amateur night at the Apollo, where you, the audience, are the judge Where's my and gavel? the jury. Now, before we get to this week's victims, <laughs> judge and the jury. I mean contestants, let's give another big round of applause to the world-famous dancing so, Edward sister. Apparently, Ella Fitzgerald, the backstory on this is the dancing Edward sisters went on and crushed it doing a dance routine. Ella Fitzgerald had prepared a dance routine, but then she didn't think she could match their energy, so she performed instead and sang. She sang? And I assume play piano. Thank you, ladies. Now, if this is your first time to the Apollo Amateur Night, let me introduce you to the ever-present Tree of Hope. I believe it. A tower of fame and fortune who grants luck to the tautologically talented. No contestant has ever won amateur night without rubbing that tree for good luck. Let me also introduce you to the Apollo's ever fanatic and faculative defender of talent and feared enemy of I all the left and talent at home. Please say hello to our infamous executioner. So the executioner too, I don't know if people know or if you know, okay. but is the guy who basically comes on stage and kicks you off if the audience boos you off during amateur night. Wow. Brutal. Let's get this show on the road. Our first contestant hails from right here in Harlem, New York City, by way of Newport News, Virginia. She's just 17 years old, and she's here to give those Edwards sisters a run for their money. Here to dance her little heart out for you. Please welcome Miss Ella Fitzgerald. Okay, Ella, welcome to Amateur Night. You got your dancing shoes ready? I'm sorry. Is this staged? <laughs> yeah. You don't dance. So I just realized this isn't even well, Ella Fitzgerald performing do? on this. You'd like to sing something. Mm -hmm. well, it's okay, Patty Austin. You can sing something That's all right. instead. What would you like you can to imagine. sing? Ooh. Wait, okay. why are they saying I Ella? I think they can probably do that. Hey, bang. So this was like a, song, it's from Judy? the 2016 tribute concert at the Apollo Theater. Where it was well, like a tribute to Ella Fitzgerald. Here to sing her little heart out for you. You Ms. know New Ella York and their Broadway. Yeah, she died in 1996. Yeah. No, that said 1934. It's like a reenactment of her first performance oh. at the Apollo Theater. Oh. <laughs> nice. I was there. I'm in it. If you hear her Sounds like Ella. And her saucer draw, hot stranger, that's danger. If you're smart, watch your heart. She'll upset any fellow's apple heart. Wait, 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 wait a minute. So the story is real, though. Yeah, it's like a reenactment of uh, Ella Fitzgerald's first performance at the Apollo Theater. That's great. It was 1934, so no one was recording it. I just thought it was kind of funny. That's great. I'm in it. And this sounds pretty damn good, too. Oh, yeah. Ella Fitzgerald's The Scat. The godmother of Scat. But, you know, I was reading, too, James Brown was even influenced by, like, jazz and stuff like that. And yeah, just was definitely. kind of reading up on the origins of the Apollo Theater and how Ella Fitzgerald was one of the first to really come out of Amateur Night. That's amazing. Passing it back. Wow. Great connection. Love talking about Ella Fitzgerald. Uh, definitely legendary voice. 
Which we uh, have not we heard left here off tonight. With love. Yeah, we haven't. Oh. <laughs> I don't think we've ever played an Ella Fitzgerald song yet. No, we'll play it at some point. Uh, left off. We had love, always see your face. Uh, so that. So one thing that does connect this to my next connection that was a surprise is we've got um, Arthur Lee actually played an early song with Jimi Hendrix. Had him in on a studio session. He played a song with him. Uh, so another sort of psychedelic rock song I wanted to stop on um, is another band that was actually sharing a studio space with Jimi Hendrix and he came in and jammed with them and they uh, jammed on the Star Spangled Banner together. So this Jimi is, Hendrix... Uh, before you launch in, I just got to make it known. Yeah. Jimi Hendrix, another amateur night win- uh, winner. Really? Yeah. He might have also played with James Brown. 1964. Totally 1964 is when he won amateur night. I could be way off on this, but I'm actually pretty sure Jimi Hendrix backed someone like James Brown at some point. Oh, I Little Richard. Okay. Nah, Little Richard. I'm wrong. All right. Going from Love to Silver Apple's Love Fingers. This is one of the first songs to use a synthesizer. It was just hey. an oscillator at this point. That's what we're going to hear at the beginning. No piano attached to this. It's literally just an oscillator. It's a piece of gear. Nineteen sixty-eight. This is panic attack inducing music. On the other side of the country, this this duo is in New York. Synthesizer sounds so like atonal. Is he just like was scrapping together audio oscillators from like old World War II gear? Like it's not even attached to a piano in the way we think of a synthesizer. World War II gear in what sense? Like, I would imagine it's like audio gear where you can generate electrical like pulse of some kind. Crazy electrical signal. Because all a synthesizer is is it's electrical current creating oscillating in a wave to create a reverberation. So do you think he probably like didn't have a ton of control over like what sort of note came out? He has out? no control, really. Yeah. He, he probably played his music to whatever note he can get. Yeah. Um, Wiki also said that this guy actually met with Bob Moog, and he's the one who then created the idea of the keyboard synthesizer. Got that funky see, drum too. It's got that Clyde Stubblefield. Yeah, it's got amazing. Like it's basically, funky the beat of funky drummer. Weird, weird, like pop psychedelia. Sounds way ahead of its time. Yeah. It sounds like not really in perfect, or not in a standard time or something too. Totally. But in time. But yeah, it's an unfortunate story where for their next album, after this one, the, after the album this tracks from, they uh, 
took a photo inside Pan Am. It's like an airplane. And uh, they had drugs like hidden in the photo. And then on the back of the album, they had like a plane crash wreck. And when Pan Am found out about it, they were furious and they sued oh, them no. for defamation. <laughs> and basically the judge ordered them to remove all the albums. And so it basically tanked their career. And they weren't allowed to play any of the music from the album either because it was considered promoting the defamation. What was that band called? So they just got screwed. The band's called Silver Apples. Nice. Never heard of them before, but I like that a lot. Yeah. They were kind of, it's one of those like sugar man situations where they pretty much went back to normal lives and didn't realize anyone loved their music till like the 90s. Yeah. And people like had been circulating bootlegged copies because it all got yanked. Which is another crazy thing that we don't have time to get into of just what we've talked about a lot on the show of physical media and like we talk about albums and you know how albums originated as things that were physically passed around even though there's something totally different today where it's like yeah. that phenomenon could happen today but it wouldn't happen in the same way totally definitely not with streaming services yeah and also i guess artists kind of get the immediate feedback of like how many followers do i have and stuff like that which is yeah. another weird thing of the modern day with spotify yeah all right i'll pass it all right we left off, we were talking synths just now. Before that, we were talking Ella Fitzgerald. We were talking Amateur Night at the Apollo. We were talking fake renditions of actual good songs. We were talking songs I heard on the Peloton. Launching into <laughs> Kendrick Lamar's Humble, the Skrillex remix. Hey, I remember syrup sandwiches and crime allowances for Nessa nigga with some counterfeits, but now I'm counting this. Parmesan with my accountant lives. In fact, I'm down in this. Do say with my boo babe, tastes like Kool-Aid for the analyst. Girl, I can buy your Westy world with my paste up. Ooh, that pussy good. Won't you sit it on my taste bloods? I get way too petty once you let me do the extras. Pull up on your block, then break it down. We playing Tetris. AM to the PM, PM to the AM phone. Kiss out your per diem, you just gotta hate them folk. If I quit your BM, I still rock Mercedes folk. If I quit this season, I still be the greatest folk. Songs like this are hilarious to me. Classic Skrillex. I was gonna say, it's just like how they built the song around the synthesizer. Skrillex just built the song around the drop. Yeah, and I was also kind of thinking of Skrillex as sort of, and I guess like DJs like this or just DJs in general as kind of uh, this part. That's the only reason I thought of this song is because he has that line, get the fuck off my stage, I'm the Sandman. So give a shout out to the Sandman, yeah. Howard Sims. Nice. I'll give you 100 points. That's a great connection. Uh, he was the executioner at the Apollo. And I probably should have just played the real songs, but I really did hear this song. And uh, it's not bad. And I do kind of like... You can kind of hear the lyrics, like we were saying, like if you never listened to the lyrics before. I don't know, it's like, and parts like this, the lyrics are really at the forefront, but then it is this. And it really just reminds me of a scene of people who in 2010 thought this was the greatest thing of all time. And I was kind of one of those, yeah. not that I was one of those people, but Skrillex in general. We haven't really talked about him. And he had the recent run with uh, Fred again and Fortet that seemed to be a big deal in your world. Uh-huh. And uh, I feel like yeah. I, I did really like Skrillex and I even like from first to last his original band. So I wanted to play some Skrillex on the podcast. But it's definitely a music that has a time and a place. And like if you're not at a rave in 20... 
2010, I don't know, rolling or something. Nah, edit that out. You know what I'm saying, though. It was a harsh yeah. churn from Ella Fitzgerald to Skrillex. Probably a bad choice, but, you know, had to stop in. No, I mean, my, you know, my interpretation of Skrillex and the drop is it's definitely like, it was almost like this switch in how we uh, thought of like electronic music because sets became all about like this up and down of the drop. I don't know if you ever went to like an EDM concert during that era. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It was, like, it was a fascinating yeah, Everyone phenomenon. loses their mind or whatever compared to like trance or something where it's just going on and on and like more subtle. Even just dubstep in general, like putting in the wubby bass and stuff and then it just became overdone. Even if it was like original, obviously it wasn't completely original, but original at the time and place where it was popular, then uh, it quickly became unoriginal. But it is still interesting mm-hmm. yeah i think it's a unique phenomenon for that i can't think of a lot of parallels but uh i also like the kendrick uh connection because we're gonna be crossing that stream here in a little bit nice just tangentially though just weaving webs we don't plan All right this. and i'm not shitting on skrillex either for the record because i feel like i'm also impressed my last statement on skrillex I'm also impressed yeah. that he's continued his career thus far, or like as far as it's gone, and it's evolved so much. <laughs> Putting Skrillex on the record. Uh, yeah, like I, it's impressive that they, those three people played Madison Square Garden and are this weird, I don't, like you know more than I know about it, but I found that to be a really interesting phenomenon that those three people are kind of like banded elder statesmen or younger it's like dr dre eminem 50 cent or something fred again zobi trice yeah yeah i was gonna say i don't know who fred again is but anyways pass it back all right we left off silver apples love fingers that reminded me of a double app dj who i knew who used love fingers as his dj name i'm thinking it's a clear reference to this song so I dug up one of his old um, albums. He was one of those uh, DJs who would just make edits. I don't know how much we could talk a little bit more about it. But let's go ahead and launch into the song. I thought it was a banger worth talking about. This is a 1980s Dutch disco song. Group is called Spargo. This track is Go. Just waiting for the Skrillex drop here. It is going to be a drop. (laughs) But yeah, so I thought it was fascinating because a lot of times these DJs, they take sort of rare cuts and they just stretch them out so that they can be played in a set. This song's only a minute 45, so it's really just this like musical snippet. But I think there's something to the idea of expanding upon someone's musical idea that I think is a, a really fascinating aspect of sample culture that hip hop usually gets credit for, but I, I think DJ and dance culture as well. And here we go, here's the drop for you. I'll wait for the drop, but I gotta say something. Or did it just happen? Subtle drop. Not subtle. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say James Brown, I think, invented electronic music. I'm just going to give him credit. Wow. Because DJs are basically just being the James Brown, just directing the band. I like that. I like that take. Present in the future. Nineteen eighty one, Netherlands, they got it. <laughs> and then it ends. Wow, that's actually a great ending. I thought you were fading <laughs> out going on a run. All right. Duh. Great song choice. Love it. Spargo. <laughs> great name too. Never heard of them. This episode <laughs> also is about music that I've never really heard before. Yeah, I kind it's of live, went laugh, with that love. as a live, laugh, love, new theme. 
put on Live, Laugh, Love while I'm uh, listening to James Brown and Skrillex on my Peloton. When I tried to research Spargo, the wiki link only took me to the wiki version. It's all in Dutch. Nice. They don't even have an American page. Hey, we did have a listener from the Netherlands reach out and suggest the cult music theme. So uh, maybe you could translate okay. that for us. Yeah, tell us more about Spargo. You pass it back? Yeah, pass it. All right. We left off with Skrillex. And, you know, I felt like that song shouldn't have made me... I, sh- I have a personal problem with electronic music dubstep even though i've liked it various forms of it throughout my life i feel like for some reason it always my reaction when people are like happily dancing to music is to be angry kind of and you know yeah sometimes i just want to go to war but i'm like why can't we be friends launching in long beach's own war Opposite of love, war. Why can't we be friends? Wow. Horn stabs, just like James Brown. Ella Fitzgerald's voice was compared to horn stabs. Psychedelica. Reggae. Dubstep. Weaving webs across generations. Across the silver Let me hear you scream! I always thought that lyric was funny. <laughs> yeah. It's just like the last song, just like Spargo. But it ends yeah. way too abruptly, but in a great way. Well, actually, this whole oh, song, yeah. now, it just keeps repeating the phrases. So I feel like you know more than I know about war, because I think on a previous rendition of the podcast, did you play Lowrider? I don't know. I don't think so. Well, for some reason, it might just been the name, but when I was listening to Love, it kind of reminded me of war. I mean, obviously, like, love and war. I was probably just that basic thinking of it that way. But no, also, no. Like, did, you, did you see the connection? Yeah. Well, there might be a more obvious one, but what is it? The saxophone player from... Is it the same guy? Yeah, I guess so. They recorded some songs with him. Yeah, and it's also it's like player from I, I was reading both uh, War and Love were like uh, multi-ethnic bands, which was like kind of a rarity at the time. And one's totally. Lo- LA, one War is Long Beach. And they both had like huge lineups that changed a lot, but were all sort of centered around one person. In this case, it was uh, Leroy Lonnie Jordan. Yeah, there's Lonnie Jordan and there's Lee Oscar. Those are the big... That's a Lee episode. Lee, Roy. Lee. Arthur Lee. I also love that line where he says, sometimes I don't speak right and he doesn't doesn't rhyme with it. <laughs> well, that's the thing, too. I know what this, I'm talking about. Because the other popular song from this album is Lowrider, which I feel like is... These are both kind of like joke songs. Yeah. But also just undeniable hits. I feel like you almost... I mean, this basically sounds... I was going to say this sounds like real big fish, but... Yeah. Fishbone. Probably a better example. Very Hello, California. Ella Fitzgerald scat. Also kind of reminded me of James Brown a little bit with the horns and the live feel of the recording. People kind of yelling along and just having a good time. Pass it back. Love it. 1974, huge classic. You've prompted me to make 
this show's first ever cross connection. I'm no jumping in. Way! Same song. Improvising here. No, not same song, oh. but I was going to do a separate song. From That's war? too good of a connection. I, I cut it last me- minute, but I'm going to add it back in right now on the fly for the <laughs> listeners. We're going from war. Why can't we be friends to the temptations? Oh! I almost played it. War. Yes. What is good for? James Brown yells. Yep. What is good for? Absolutely not. Say it again. So I'm guessing you read the like controversy on this song. I actually don't know it, but I was gonna say real quick though. One, two, three, four in the background, weaving webs to the Elephant's yeah. Gerald Broadway play. A little theatrical performance Love there. All right, pass back. What's the controversy though? So the real famous version of this song, at least for me, was the Edwin Starr version. Uh, this is the Temptations, which they were originally the song was written for them, but the label Motown felt like their audience was too conservative, and they thought there would be a bunch of backlash. Wow. So they threw the song to Edwin Starr to record a single, and then his blew up, and they were super mad because <laughs> it was supposed to be their song. Damn, I never do that. I feel like this version is better. So this version came out, even with the psychedelia theme, this came out on their album, Psychedelic Shack. Nice. Psychedelia Shack. I gotta listen to more Temptations. They have a psychedelica record? A psychedelic record? Yeah, that's the name of this. Uh, Them and Norman Whitfield, their famous producer, uh, are kind of like experimenting with, you know, reverb and... Uh, this is, album is considered the first uh, example of sampling. They took one of their older hits and kind of like interspersed it. I got to check this album out. Maybe do it for another episode because I used to like the Temptations and like Motown stuff a lot back when I was a kid. Yeah, man. And if you can, actually, uh, there's a great play, a Broadway play. No, I, I think it's off Broadway. But it's about their life. They just have a fascinating biography, The Temptations. Yeah. Just tons of like crazy things happened to them throughout their careers. And they continue to just like chug through all these different changes in the music industry, like psychedelic soul and, you know, boogie and funk in the 80s and all that stuff. So it's pretty cool. I don't want to say American Idol ruined everything, but I felt like. And during a certain era, if you were charismatic and you could sing really well, it would carry you really far and you could kind of adapt. Yeah. But then American Idol totally. tried to just... Not American Idol, but you know what I mean? It's just not like that anymore. And that's not to take anything away from like the Temptations, but you had to get lucky and everything too, But and everyone has their different story. So that was a pointless ramble. Well, they're just fascinating because they... um you know, they get their start with like Smokey Robinson uh, era of like soul. So early 60s, late 50s, where you still have like the falsetto singers and like their band stays around long enough that, you know, by the mid 60s, late late 60s, they've got a different front man because his voice matches the, um, you know, modern sound better. Yeah. Um, Interesting. So shout out to Kendrick Lamar. You'd mentioned him. Eddie Kendricks, the singer. Uh, I guess Kendrick was named after him, or his first name is a nice. Oh, wow, just wove so, so many webs right there. We just wove it across the stream. I literally jumped onto your side of the bank, connected a song, and I'll pass it back. All right. Well, I don't know which side of the bank I'm on, but I know I'm coming to the home stretch here. Uh, I've already kind of teased my connection. We left off with war. Opposite of war is love. Also, I kind of just heard the musical threads Kevin Bacon style while I was listening to love it, for whatever reason it reminded me of war so that's a one-to-one connection and uh launching hey. in to 
Good time. Good times? Yes. Elliot Smith it's here. Be all right in the morning. I know that you're gonna have a good time. You're gonna have a good time. It's just it has a little bit of a harder edge than you know typical folk rock. I think makes it really interesting. I was reading he was doing like multi-track vocals and stuff too and layering. Gives it kind of a weird edge too. saying with kind of like the darker edge it has to it yeah and if you want to do extra credit definitely check out forever changes it's the album right before this the that was like hit their on big hit right? yeah it had a really big song alone again Slow electronic Four. music here little reggae or even like proto-punk a little bit or a little velvet underground hey you're trying to use your John Cale get out of jail free card <laughs> I need it for my Skrillex song Yeah, great guitar on this album. So you're you were right. He's not playing lead guitar. He's just doing rhythm. It's got to be a Lee on guitar, though. Yeah. Yeah, this album's definitely worth checking out. Wiki Wiki has him listed: folk rock, psychedelic rock, garage rock, proto punk. I kind of feel like this whole episode too, we've just been yelling out genres, or at least I've been doing this. And I don't know if the listener is hearing it, but I'm like, emo, uh, screamo, uh, techno. But yeah, I feel like this whole podcast kind of just proves that genres are just loose ways of describing music. I think everyone already knows this and they're, they're made up by record companies or whatever to classify stuff. We've talked about that before, but also like, some of the best artists of all time that stand the test of time don't adhere strictly to like a genre format that they didn't invent that was popular at the time. Like even the Temptations, you yeah. know, even if they are adapting, maybe like the Temptations, maybe like Skrillex adapting to the times to kind of adapt to the popular sounds of the time, they still do that well. And that's not necessarily bad. <laughs> Pass it back. I agree. All right. Thank you, Judge Hagel. Um, so we left off with the Temptations War, and you already kind of teased the connection here. Um, part of why the Edwin Starr version was so famous is Norman Whitfield, the producer, he actually went back and kind of recreated the instrumental to match, in his opinion, it was to match Starr's 
James Blue, James Brown influenced Soul Shouts because he thought that the instrumentals sounded too weak against the Edwin Starr's vocals. And I feel like that's honestly what makes that single version better. It's a lot more energetic, and I think it captures uh, the intensity of the song and the anger about war. So using that to jump into... I had picked the exact same one as you since that was a banger. But since I'm closing us out, I'm going to go with closing song here. This is Night Train. Nice. You're on top of your game today. I don't know how you just jumped over that stream. We have so many webs. Working on the fly like James Brown. Improvising. Very ska. Clayton Filio. I feel like you could skank to this if you wanted to. Definitely. I'm thinking now like swing. Or like the, even the twist. We gotta do connecting the dances. I mean, wasn't one of the first songs in Jamaica was about a dance, right? Skanking or I believe it, it wasn't yeah. called skanking, it was something else. It was a similar type beat like this. We could actually do a, a dance A dances episode. episode? Yeah. Yes. Alright. Next episode. Dancing is so tied to music, but we don't always talk about it when we talk about albums. Because you're not Superman. always dancing to an album. All aboard for New York City. I mean we li- yeah, we lived through the dance era. I mean, we'll get we'll weave this web next week, but there's a lot to say on that. I mean, I feel like electronic music does directly take from a lot of this, right? It does a what? It takes what? It does kind of like evolve out of this, right? Like funk and soul. Electronic music? Yeah, I mean, I guess. Or like I mean, directly it's more tied to house. I'm thinking of house music. Disco. Uh, Yeah, it's all one thread, right? all one-to-one i think we gotta end the podcast let's be real this is this is gospel right i mean this is a bat the backbone's gospel it's like straight out of a church but isn't all music just spiritual in a sense yeah on recorded history of music podcast i was gonna say we'll talk about that talk about that on our other podcast recorded history music yeah the churches were one of the few organizations to write it down and then the church of Uncle Sam and his capitalist bald eagle talons was the one to record it actually it was Thomas Edison and a few others. And then they people started making albums like Love. You went from episode to episode, Sade. I was called Sade, but Sade. Sade. Um, love Deluxe to uh, Love. And I went to Nirvana to James Brown. Going have big, big time superstars. But I actually learned a lot just by picking some albums and some songs that I wasn't entirely familiar with. I thought you did a good job by doing that live connection war to war. I've never seen anything like that before. 
probably the greatest stunt fold in the history of connecting to the classics. <laughs> and for that, Besides I'm going to give gavel. you... I'm going to give you five million points and the win on the episode. Well, so as long as I didn't get taken off the stage by the executioner, that's all I'm happy about. It was clear. I almost took myself off when we were talking about Skrillex. I don't really know why I talked about Skrillex, but I had to bring it up. All right. I'll see you next week with the dance episode. See you on the dances episode. Mashed potatoes. Thanks. Thanks for twist on out of here. I'm taking the night train. <laughs>